You are now listening to the hashtag MBDA Conversations podcast. In this podcast, you will be informed and empowered about MBDA's social, spatial, and economic transformation programs in Nelson Mandela Bay. Stay tuned. Joining us in studio today is MBDA's CEO, Mr. Ashraf Adam. Welcome, Ashraf. Good morning, uh, Ulam, and thank you for having me. It's good to have you, and um, I really want to talk to you largely about what you uh, you are writing to us on the on the Herald and other things uh, because you are giving a masterclass there, aren't you? <laughs> A masterclass? I wouldn't be so sure. It's it's largely based on my experience in local government, really, and in governance as a whole. Um, so it's based on the experience and knowledge I've built up over the years. And just to share that experience is what I use the column for. And if you can, can you define to us the different types of municipalities? Um, just give us that masterclass, at least. <laughs> well, um, there are several pieces of legislation that we have to consider when it comes to uh, local government. Um, in 1998, there was a white paper on local government, which is still relevant today. And that white paper gave rise to several pieces of legislation on local government. One was the Municipal Demarcation Act. The second was the Municipal Structures Act. And the third was the Municipal Systems Act. Those three together uh, determine, one, the structure and size of municipalities, uh, the um, and, and, and what work municipalities do in terms of the mandate that municipalities have derived from there, as well as chapters 4B and 5B of the Constitution, National Constitution. So you get that as the general framework. Within that framework, though the law allows for several different types of municipalities. One are Category A municipalities, which are, we largely rec- uh, call uh, metropolitan municipalities or cities like Nelson Mandela Bay or Cape Town or Joburg or Etiquini. So those are what are called Category A municipalities. Category B municipalities are what we call local municipalities. So it would be Kocha, it would be Stellenbosch, it would be uh, Rustenburg, it would be some of these municipalities. Then you get category C municipalities, which are called district municipalities. Now, the way district municipalities work is that they are representative of a number of municipalities within the district. So if you look at, say, the Cape Winelands district, there'd be several municipalities within. There'd be Stellenbosch, there'd be Drakenstein, there'd be... um, oh, I can't remember all the municipalities there now, but there'd be several municipalities within a district. So if you went and voted in the last election, you would have been given either two ballots or three ballots. Two ballots um, uh, uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a category A and a category B municipality. So if you were um, in a category A municipality, you've got or a category B municipality. You, sorry, if you're in a category A municipality, you got two ballots, one for your ward and one for your uh, uh, proportional representation. In a, in a category B municipality, you would have got three because you are also part of a district. So you vote for your district representatives in PR as well. So, so that's the basic lie and structure of, of, of municipalities in South Africa. 
And um, if you can expand on the role of municipal entities now. Yes. So um, the legislation, uh, the Systems Act and the Structures Act, as well as now, uh, because the Municipal Finance Management Act came much later, uh, this legislation enables municipalities to have several forms of service delivery. The one is what is called the multi-jurisdictional service delivery agency, where some municipalities, neighboring municipalities, get together and say, look, we can't all individually afford waste management, for example. They get together and they establish an entity, and that entity does waste management in several municipalities, or water, or town planning services, or uh, assessments of applications, and so forth. So so that's the one multi-jurisdictional entity that you can get. The other one is, of course, is the partnership. A third one is what is called a municipal entity owned by one municipality. So the law allows for municipalities to actually own companies, uh, uh, not for investment, but for service delivery. So you can own companies, you can own entities and things. So um, most municipal entities are what are called section, what used to be called Section 21 companies. They are not for profit companies. Um, they are now part of the Companies Act as well. And so the purpose of development agencies was to take into consideration that there is an urgent need to move faster than the systems in government and local government can move. And so entities such as, uh, and, and the second reason was that there is a need for integrated development. And often municipalities can't quite get it right because of the way they are structured. So we often talk about not having silos, but they often end up being silos. And so uh, development agencies such as the MBDA can work across departments and silos and so on and so forth on the one hand. And on the other hand, the supply chain mechanisms are are a a, a lot more uh, robust and effective and quick. And it's in that context that development work can actually be accelerated through the development agencies than they normally would have been done through uh, through through the municipality itself. So that's the purpose and role of, of, of development agencies. Particularly since uh, if you look at the mandates, the mandates are quite wide from psychosocial to physical infrastructure. Because development is broad. You know, anything is development if you want to make it so. And so there are different entry points into development and development agencies give you that opportunity. You are listening to Hashtag MBDA Conversations. Be part of the conversation by sending your voice notes to our WhatsApp line 072-423-0271. I suppose development is also a political space. Uh, for entities like uh, Mandela Bay Development Agency. How do you navigate around that? Yeah. Well, there have been examples of development agencies paying for political party uh, uh, shirts and all that other kind of stuff. Um, There are several... Let me rather answer the question this way. There are several risks associated with development agencies. The one risk is it's primarily reliant on the parent municipality for funding. Secondly, it needs to work very closely with uh, with senior municipal officials. And depending on the way that entity performs, that relation, those relationships can be difficult or not difficult. But often people in municipalities misunderstand the role of their own development agencies, so they find contestation 
from other gov- other municipal departments in relation to the MBDA, I mean, in relation to development agencies. Then the state of a municipality also determines this. The state of governance in a municipality also determines the state of, uh, of, of a development agency. If there is political uncertainty, if there's administrative uncertainty in a municipality, that uncertainty directly impacts on, on, an, on a development agency. So for development agents to be successful, you do need stable, um, stable local government institutions. The quality of the council determine the, determines the quality of the appointments of, of um, yes. The so agencies have boards um, and they are independent boards. Remember, I said they are companies, yes. albeit not for profit companies. So, in terms of that, they have to uh, have a board. The board is appointed by council. So, in terms of what you've just said, a stable council will ensure that there is a stable board and that there are people on the board who have the interests of the municipality and the agency at hand. In your, in, in your, I did mention that I'm going to talk about your letters, even though we don't have time uh, to the Herald, your column there. You, you, you are interested in the nexus between uh, these entities. To an extent, frustrated with the processes in, 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 in our democracy to get things done, the intention versus um, the actual... Um, provision in policy to get things done? Yeah. Well, I think partly the problem is policy. Uh, I think government policy uh, with, re- with respect to municipalities is actually uh, wrong, <laughs> if I could put it as bluntly as that. Uh, you look at the, every few years there's a new initiative on, uh, on, on how to improve municipalities, whether it's Project Consolidate or Sienza Manje, and now it's the District Development Model. All they are trying to do is to work, make the intergovernmental system more effective to make sure that municipalities do what is expected of them. But if you look at a lot of the policies, whether it is local economic development, whether it is social development, whether it is education, all those things impact on municipalities and municipal spaces. And if those things are wrong, they have devastating impacts on communities. And I'll just give you one example, two examples. This issue of economic development and township economic development. Development is an outcome of a lot of other investments in education, in, in, in health, in welfare, in, in law, in safety and peace, development of infrastructure, and so on and so forth. So if you don't have make those investments, you're not going to get economic development. So government has this big thing about economic development and so on and so forth, but municipalities which are ineffective in providing basic infrastructure cannot do that. Secondly, it continues the othering of black people living in townships. So, no, no, we must get them up like us. So, the word development itself is actually a racist term. It came out of the independence of countries such as India and Ghana and others um, in the 40s already, when the British then started saying, no, no, we need to have development support or development aid so that they can become like us. So there's a complete racism within the concept of development as well. And I think that's what we haven't really unpacked. And therefore, we come to policies which entrench racism, like housing and so forth. The second thing I wanted to bring about is a basic thing of education and development. 30% cannot be a pass rate if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, uh, build a country. And I was reading the Sunday Times yesterday in that, you know, they had that 50 years ago and 25 years ago. And 25 years ago, South African children scored amongst the lowest in maths and science internationally. 
And since then, it's become worse with the 50%. So how do you, how do, what kind of development do you get? What kind of growth are young people supposed to be engaging with if their basic education has let them down already? So they have a trick. They think they are good. But on the, be, behind the surface, there's nothing they can do with that metric and things like that. You can't do much. Well, yeah. So, with, so, with so we need to have development policies that come from the bottom up and that are more appropriate to develop to, 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 to municipalities. A local economic development policy in Cape Town means very different, something very different to a local economic development policy in Kaibeja, in, in for example. But what we have is a one-size-fits-all that comes from national government and tells municipalities you must implement that. So policy needs to be a lot more specific to the areas in which they are intended to be implemented in. Okay, and um, you t you talked briefly about township um, uh, economy and um, a previous labor reserve environment uh, now needs to be an aspiration of everyone that we come and develop it and make it whatever it is not currently. Is that presenting a, a, a conflict um, with regards to the work that you do? All the time, all the time. Um, um, you know... Again, coming up with policy, we can have all the policy we want, but once you start eating the ground to implement policy, whether it is local employment, setting aside 30% of contracts for local contractors, whether it is any investment in an area, what we are finding with particularly in poor areas is structural, structural unemployment and the lack of skills are really imposing on the work of the MBDA in that People are so desperate for work that they will form themselves into formations, whether it is labor forums or business forums and things, and insist that you must work through them so that they can distribute through their uh, systems of, 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 of their networks, basically. And if you don't engage with them, then your work won't happen. But essentially, you have to work with people who want you to not follow the law. So you and and we get death threats. Some people get killed and so forth. So, so you get policy on the one hand, but you get the reality of implementing policy on the other hand, which government doesn't take take into consideration. Which brings me to the point that we have no policy for municipal for municipalities on how to deal with endemic violence within communities, because that is also a developmental issue. Why are we such a violent country? Why are we such a violent society? What makes us so and how do we need to undo that? There's no government policy on that that we, that we can work with. So there's no guidance on how to deal with the, with the challenges, but there's also no policy that the government has to de-escalate the challenges within, within communities and things like that. It's a masterclass, everyone. It's a masterclass. <laughs> As normal right now, we will be listening to your, view, your views on social media, which comes through our WhatsApp line. Why is the Nelson Mandela Bay Development Agency not working in certain areas? Or to rephrase the question, why are they only focusing on other areas? Now, the MBDA's mandate is across the municipality. So that's the first point. Um, and so it uh, has responsibilities to work across the municipality in its, in, its, in its memorandum of incorporation. At the time, though, it was primarily meant to work on the regeneration of the Port Elizabeth CBD and the waterfront development. And over the years, that mandate expanded. 
particularly when the Helenvale Urban Renewal Project came about and some of the other, I think it was also Motherwell Urban Renewal Program. And over the years, the mandate expanded and it was working everywhere and also uh, was effective in some of the areas, but wasn't as effective as it could have been. And what we did over the past few years was to say, look, you've got to focus your work. You can't be everywhere for several reasons. One, you don't have the money. Two, you don't have the staff. And three, with that, you're just going to stretch yourself and be ineffective. So rather focus on particular areas where you've already been working and put a lot more of the energy into there. So that's what we did with New Brighton. We're doing that with Uteneg now. Uh, we, uh, we're doing that with Corston uh, 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 Shorterville and some of the areas, Helenvale and the CBD, as well as uh, the, the Barkins Valley and, and, and something. So in other words, we focus our attention in certain areas only. And if there's flexibility required in those areas, then we can do that. But to say, look, you are working in, in, in New Brighton and therefore you also have to work in Motherwell is unsustainable for, for an organization such as the MBDA. We can only be effective if we can be nimble and agile. And if you're going to stretch yourself, you're not going to be nimble and you will not be agile. As a matter of, of, of your strategy going forward, um, there are a couple of changes that you, you are making. Um, are, are there changes that you are making, as you, you yeah. just said? So, so when I came in, I produced a five-year business plan to the to the to the uh, to the to the board, and they accepted it. It's on that basis that we started budgeting and preparing our work. But over the years, things have changed. We had uh, the instability in the municipality affecting us, it affected our budget as well. Um, we've also had uh, um, uh, the instability of not having enough money, and we've had the impact of COVID, but before the impact of COVID, there was just a huge demand on the work of the MBDA. And so as a result of that, um, and as a result of also looking for external funding sources, we continuously have over the past four years, um, reviewed our business plan and reviewed our budget to say, look, what outcomes does that business plan want? And what do we do to get there? And what we've been doing is to continuously monitor and revise our business plan to fit into the local good conditions and context and things like that. So, for example, we might not have a lot of money, but we've put in a two billion rand application to National Treasury for uh, for for Bayworld. If that money comes, then that will become a priority, and some of the other things will become less of a priority. Uh, we've 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 been allocated fifteen million rand by National Treasury. And uh, that money now comes in and we can spend it more effectively in the areas in which we're already doing work. So that entrenches the work we're doing in areas. So it's flexible. Uh, it, depends on, it depends on the money. It depends on the situation. As long as we are continuously doing different kinds of work. So, for example, as a final point on this one, when our budget was being reduced and we didn't have enough money for capital projects, we, sh we decided to shift our focus uh, primarily, not primarily, but largely to um, to psychosocial interventions in certain communities, because they don't need a lot of money; you just need a lot of effort, and and so that's been quite successful as well. So the the, the changing circumstances determine how how the MBDA does its work, because as I said in the beginning, there are many 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 different pathways to development. And what 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 is an ideal budget for an entity like MBDA? <laughs> 
An ideal budget for an entity such as the MPDA in its current mandate, because remember, we also have to redevelop the council chambers. We have to build new council chambers. We have to work on uh, the redevelopment of, uh, of the Sparkins Valley for housing. We have to look at uh, Baywood, as I said. We have to look at Telcom Park and the redevelopment there mm -hmm. and some of the social housing and as well as some of the capital works in Utenaig and New Brighton and Corston Shorterville and Helenville and some of the other areas we're working, including the CBD. I would say that a realistic capital budget for us would be about 70 to 80 million rand per year over the next three years and uh, a, a, an increase in operational budget of about seven to eight million rand so we can employ more people uh, at, a high, at a more senior level to, to, to impact and, 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 and implement that capital, those capital programs. Be part of the conversation. For more information, visit www.mbda.co.za. Are you having sleepless nights and nightmares about the work that you do yet? <laughs> I used to. <laughs> I used to. Um, what gives me sleepless nights are the safety of my staff. Uh, the, the, the MBDA team is just an incredible team. Um, it's what, in fact, I, I must tell you something. I, I wasn't going to be the CEO of the MBDA. I was here to help provide some direction. I was seconded here. Uh, get some method into the madness of this organization, get it going. And then I was supposed to go back to my old job. But when I saw the incredible people at this organization and the work and the passion, I said, well, I'm sure I can provide some assistance here. Um, and and that's, when I <laughs> that's when I threw my hat into the ring. So I think it's the people and the safety and the work that they do that keeps me up at night. Not Not the work that we have to do because that's, that's always going to be there. It's always going to be there. Uh, it's a biblical thing to say that the poor will always be with you. But uh, obviously we work on the assumption that we don't want the poor to always be with us. So there will always be development work and there will always be challenges. And at some point you must be able to distance yourself as a person from the work that you do. It's not easy. And how do you do it? <laughs> I like to read. I listen to podcasts. I watch movies. I talk to people. Uh, take a walk. Um, yeah, you, I think you must get out of your, 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 your work environment, which is one of the reasons why I explain to the staff, I don't expect them to work at night. I don't expect them to work over weekends. I don't expect, they mustn't expect calls from me after hours and things like that, unless it's really, really urgent. And um, that they must find life outside of their work as well. Mm. Um, and that's important. I, I don't like to call it work-life balance. Uh, I just want them to find a balance in life uh, for whatever they do, that they must associate with their families, they must take time to spend time with their loved ones, um, and because the work will always be there. But your family and your friends and all that will always also be there, but they need you too, and you need them too. I've got great friends who, who can sense when, I'm, when, I'm, when, I, when work is getting to me, and then uh, we'll just have a wild time. Talking nonsense. <laughs> yes, I, I think I think that's need dead sometimes. Talk. I, I can't say nonsense because I'm speaking to someone senior to me. <laughs> no, no, no. Nonsense is good. <laughs> Talking nonsense is a very important part. If you go back to old to, to, to societies from the time we were clans, yes. and people sitting around the fire telling stories. Uh, that was not only history. It was not only culture being being you know, lessons. It was also people having downtime. 
at the end of the day and things like that. So downtime and work are part of the human condition. It's what makes us human beings. Um, and 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 it's been happening since the dawn of of, of humankind three four hundred thousand years ago. Uh, in fact, even the Neanderthals' evidence is emerging were 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 were, were, were that social. So um, being social and having many many interests is part of the human condition, in my view. Talking about interests, are you interested? Or what, are, what is your approach to the newly constituted council in its form? I work on a very simple, proce- uh, f- simple philosophy that I'm a public servant and public servants do not comment on, uh, 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 on politics. Yes. They do not get themselves engaged in political machinations. They must understand, of course, what the, impl- what the issues are, what the implications are, and then act accordingly. But uh, they must not be involved. And I dis- in fact, even I discourage party political discussions in my presence at work. Yes. I can't stop people from having whatever conversations they want to, but I discourage party political uh, discussions. And I don't mind people discussing things and politics and that kind of stuff. But um, professional public servants must, um, must not be involved in the politics of an institution. And how do citizens hold the municipality accountable? Actually, interesting you mentioned that. I was thinking last week uh, whether that shouldn't be my uh, my follow-up article uh, to the to the last one on on, on 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 partnerships and coalitions, because there are several mechanisms through which uh, the public hold municipalities accountable. One is through the uh, public participation processes in the in the RDPs, the budgets the plans, the local area plans, public participation before a, 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 a spade is even dug into the ground. So there's lots of measures for public participation formally. Then there's also the promotion of Access to Information Act. There is, um, then uh, there are various constitutional provisions for, for, for the right of people to be consulted uh, for development in the area. So my concern is that people are not using the mechanisms open to them and therefore uh, are are not holding government to account in the way they are. Which brings me to another policy thing, actually, in that you you find consultants out there promoting to national government various transparency mechanisms and all that other kind of stuff, but they're already there. For example, your budget and IDP have to be on your website. Your performance reports have to be on your website. A lot of things that the public can hold municipalities accountable for have to be on the municipalities' websites. But how many people actually go to it? So it's not a question of municipalities not uh, promoting democracy and participation. It's the, cons- it's the people who advise communities and who advise government who do not understand the legislative requirements for public participation. So they come with parallel things which confuse communities even more. It's a serious job to actually lead the MPDA, uh, but you are, you do have uh, clear lessons that I see through your writing that you are taking nationally. You are having a conversation with the broader audience. Who is this audience, and 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 uh, what other conversations would you like to have? Yes. Um, so the audience that I write for, of course, I write for the Herald. <laughs> so it's the Herald's audience. Yes. Um, and, but at the same time, I've got 
a significant set of relationships on, 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 on LinkedIn. And I have a significant set of relationships in the development industry as a whole, amongst academics, amongst other practitioners, amongst other f- officials in the state, and so on and so forth. Um, so I write, I write with a view to them also seeing it and engaging with it and, and, and that kind of thing. Yeah. Would you say you write what you like? No, I don't. <laughs> uh, had I... Had, had I <laughs> um, um, if I weren't a public servant... I would probably write a lot more of what I like. Uh, often I write about what I don't like to write about because uh, it, it's hard. It's hard to write about, you know, certain things where uh, you know that you are chastising your colleagues, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so it's not easy to write along those lines. So I try and keep the things which are topical to local government, particularly at that moment. Mm-hmm. And um, as we conclude... It's a serious job, but I, I want to find out if you find a moment to laugh and enjoy. How does it look like where, where you are? No, all the time. One, I'm a, I'm a hands-on manager, but not a micromanager. Uh, and, 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 and there's a difference, right? Yeah. Hands-on means that I check up on my people, uh, we engage with them, whether it's sitting in the corridor or one of them barges into my office or I just go down and have a chat with some people who are staying in a group. Uh, of course, that's in addition to regular meetings and things like that. At the same time, I'd like to believe that I'm a light-hearted person. Um, that um, I mean, I won't minimize something that is serious, but I do f- try and find some lighter moments in difficult situations and things like that. But also it's my job to think beyond a crisis or beyond a challenge uh, and to anticipate what could happen or could not happen if things continue in a particular way. So, so my style is really one of engaging with, 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 with my team and teams, but not in a manner that they report to me every day on everything and, and that kind of thing. And I think, I think that's made the difference because my, I, I want to lead in a manner where people grow themselves. And my job is to assist. And, and the message I give to the, particularly the operations team is to say, look, as I said before, there are many pathways to development. Our mandate as the MBDA is very broad. You choose what you want to do. And if it makes sense in the context of the work of the MBDA, then that's what I will champion for you. My job is then to make you, make you succeed. It's a masterclass, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us, Ashraf. Uh, hopefully, we'll hear from you again. I don't know. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. Take care. For more intriguing MBDA conversations, follow the MBDA on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Also visit the MBDA website and send us your questions or views via the MBDA WhatsApp line on 072-423-0271. Thank you for joining us. Till next time.